Hello, and welcome to Attack of the Queer Wolf. I'm Nay. I'm Mark. I'm Michael. Just kidding. Michael's not here yet. No, we don't have a Michael. <laughs> Michael's at the groomers, according to Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just so taken by my own joke. <laughs> Uh, there is no Michael. <sighs> He'll yeah. be here soon. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see. Fingers crossed. This traffic. I tell you what. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> the traffic. Yeah. It's the yeah. Traffic. That's all you I got. You got that right. Yeah. You can say that again. Yeah, that's all I got. I'm Brennan, by the way. <laughs> Hi, yeah. Brennan. This is Brennan, our producer. Hi. Hi. Okay. <laughs> well, everyone, we have a super special show today, um, one that I'm really, really excited about and that we've been looking forward to for a while now. Um, and I would like to go ahead and just introduce our guest. Uh, his name is Xavier Bergen, and he's a writer, director from USC School of Cinematic Arts. He's the director of Shudder's first original documentary, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. He's a Sundance Fellow, HBO alumni, Ryan Murphy Hall Fest alum, semifinalist for the Student Academy Awards, and a director for the Emmy-nominated series Giants. A goofball at heart, he's amassed 70,000-plus followers via comedy, storytelling, and social commentary. He strives to bring an emotionally powerful aesthetic through drama and a pleasantly gut-aching hilarity through comedy. (laughs) Without further ado, welcome Xavier Bergen to Woo! Queer Wolf. Yay, thank you so much. Glad to, on, glad to be on. I'm listening to that now. Man, I got to change that. Yeah. <laughs> Should we cut it? We want to redo it? We cut it. Should we do the bio? So, <laughs> we were like, yeah. oh, no, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say that part. Oh, no, please don't say that part. Right. I could have read the super long one. Oh, please. You're so accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You sent me a short one and a long one. Oh. The long was like two pages, though. Oh, my God. It's actually a CV. <laughs> it would be like a filibuster version of the autobiography. We're just like, we're actually not going to do the interview. We're, gonna, we're never getting to it. This is just the audiobook of your autobiography. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it, well, is there anything you'd like to add to that? No, no, no. It's all good. That works just fine. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much, like we said, for being here. Um, I guess to start out, I'm really curious if you're a horror fan. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's interesting. Interestingly enough, like I'm damn. Can I cuss on this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, okay. Cool. You can actually cool. say anything. Yeah. Yeah. We've tr- we've, we've t- we have tested the fence. <laughs> yes. In every which way, and yes. uh, we're still here. So please, by all means. Uh, yes. So here's now. I'm, I'm always honest with now. Of course, like you know, I grew up watching horror, seeing it by all means. You know, one of the first ones I remember, of course, is Candyman. Another one that I saw that I should have saw was Event Horizon. Um, that scared yeah. the shit out of me, and I don't know how I got my hands on that. Shit. I don't know. All I know is I walk. Uh, I watch it and just fucking freak me the hell out but i admit that like you know on a on a horror level like you know tanana reeve or ashley blackwell not at that level um and honestly even coming into film when i found out and i wanted to go this route i never thought that this was the type of route i could really go because nobody was really oh, we might even get into that nobody's really pushing that nobody's really saying like you can go into this you know stuff even going to the film school um at usc love usc to death it's all great but it's like you're doing two things it's like drama comedy that's it yeah like there isn't even like really horror based um classes in there to like do through production and stuff so you know it, it was interesting like when i went back to show the film at sc i specifically you know we we, we showed it to everybody you know of course i love seeing all these black kids coming out to check this bad boy yeah. and i was just like yo if you're in school right now you know, nobody else might tell you this, but please do some genre stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like straight up. Like, I know you're going to do your dramas. You're going to do your comedies. I'm not mad at that. But we need more black folks, more POC doing genre stuff because folks really need to see that in general. So I, I say all that to say that, like, I definitely knew horror. I enjoyed it. I loved mm-hmm. it. But I wasn't really in it in the way that I wish I could have been just because of the fact that nobody was really pushing that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Why do you think that is that no one was pushing it? Yeah, um, did you find like the faculty, or was there like a feeling like the faculty like looked down upon it? Oh, <laughs> if we're going okay, so so I'm gonna take I'm gonna take it back. They're not gonna like this. That laugh, but, amazing. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that like you know USC, I love again, love the school to death. But USC is a microcosm of Hollywood. Hollywood is still unfortunately predominantly white, and because it's predominantly white, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really like you know end up being taught there because so many other professors are these old vanguards of older Hollywood Mm -hmm. that are coming into it. So, you know, when you notice when you go to the school, I think I maybe had like three, four people of color as, um, you know, teachers. And then out of those four, like three were were black. I mean, three were black. Mm -hmm. And that was it during my four years there. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing about it is, and I'm going to come back to the horror thing in a second, was just the fact that like, you know, because of that, there was a seated look as to what was um, necessary or good to do or what was actually like something you should focus on as a, as a, as a, as a student. And for the most part, like horror genre stuff really wasn't pushed in that type of way. It was kind of like, you know, kind of recommended against, you know, even on sci-fi fantasy type stuff, to be honest with you, if you weren't one of the richer kids there, you weren't going, you weren't going to get that done just because mm-hmm. of the fact that like you needed like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 K to knock out your stuff. And, you know, at, at, for the most part, maybe you might get 10 K, 12 K, you know, it's just not on, on the same type of level with mm-hmm. that. And then I think also the faculty and stuff didn't see it as important especially on the production side so you know when i was there i think never saw any horror-based stuff at all dramas comedies i saw one or two sci-fi based stuff which did great but you know they was the type of folks who literally threw down like 50 60 70k on a short and it's like that's ridiculous, but, you know, they had money to play that stuff off in comparison to, like, you know, the black and POC folks that were there. So it was just, it was one of those places where, you know, I learned a lot. So glad I had it. It made me a stronger director by all means, but it just wasn't those places that really embraced genre in the way that might have been necessary for more people to say, like, let me go this route. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, then I had already planned on asking how you ended up being the director of Horror Noir, but now I, I really would like to know how you got, um, not because I don't think, <laughs> I'm like, how the hell did you? No, not like that. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, okay, so there's this platform that didn't necessarily support um, this direction fully the way that, um, you know, kind of other things were. So what what happened in between? How did this, what kind of path was this that you took one of the interesting things that i'll always be honest about is like you know most of my work i love black folks i love people of color like if you go and see any of the stuff that i've done it's been predominantly black folks and poc not only like in front of the camera but behind it like you know in everything that i do so when um shutter and stage three got in together to put this they 
decided like, yo, well, we're going to bring in someone that's young, black, that's like, you know, pushing themselves in the industry. And th- I ended up getting a, they ended up getting a recommendation from a homie, Tommy Oliver, shout out to him. And they put them in contact with me. So they brought me in and say, hey, we're doing this documentary. It's about like, you know, horror. I was like, oh, okay. But they brought up the fact that it's dealing with the history of horror with black folks. And I was like, oh, okay, now this is really piquing my interest. So because of that, they were like, yo, I'm interested. But they said, like, okay, we want you to come in and pitch, you know, to see about it. And I was like, all right, sounds good. So I ended up guiding Dr. Robin Armin's Coleman's book, read through that entire thing. <laughs> Read through everything I could find on the internet, just like, you know, going back and learning more about this and literally came into the room and had like a, you know, 12 to 15 page um, lookbook about how I wanted to set this up, the aesthetic and everything like that, how I want to go through different the eras and stuff of horror. And yeah, uh, sent that over to him. And didn't hear back for a second. I was like, oh, man, maybe I didn't get this. <laughs> maybe I wasn't the right person for it. And then literally they hit me back and they said they loved everything that I put together wow. for this and uh, brought me in for it. And when was that? So that was um, last year, maybe like. Okay. Like maybe at end of July, something, something to that degree. Like the actual time from like, you know, shooting this to now was very, very quick. Mm. Very, very quick. Okay. It seems like, uh, and, and from at least a consumer standpoint, Shutter, it's uh, of Shutter. It seems like they've been enormously supportive of the doc and like really trying to get it out there. Is it, has it been a good experience as a filmmaker working with Shutter? No, it's been dope. Like one of the things I brought up, like specifically with this, was that they really wanted to. They could have gone with somebody white, and you know, kept that would have made quite an interesting PR. <laughs> yeah, quite interesting PR thing. But as or Nora, but to you by. <laughs> Like, no one is surprised. Ken Burns is. <laughs> <laughs> like, easily. But, I mean, again, that's something that you see not only within the horror genre, but within film in general. You see so many black stories being done by folks that aren't us by any means. So the fact that they actually said we want to champion someone that is black to come onto this, like, you know, meant a lot, you know, with bringing me into the fold and things like that. And because of that, I think they were just like, you know, very, very aware because it was first, you know, first documentary they're doing, then, you know, our first original documentary. And they really said like, yo, whatever you need, we'll put it together. And then on a bigger note, it's like, you know, we really want you to be out there and pushing this. And I thought that was a big thing too. So it's been good with them. And it's at the point where it's like, I definitely know I want to come back and work with them at some point. That's awesome. Make it happen, Shutter. Yeah. It's so striking to me to hear you talk about, like, obviously they easily could have picked a white person to direct this story, to tell these stories of stories. Um, and I just think about how the film takes you through, like, the, the beginnings of black people in horror films. And then to actually black people being able to direct horror films and then you here to talk about directing a film of black filmmakers and actors and it's just such a level up that I didn't ever I didn't even think I didn't even think about it um I would be excited to see a black person in a horror film and then eventually as I understood what movies even were understanding like oh black people actually making films and and writing screenplays and directing this and producing that and that I'd never even anticipated oh and then actually there could be black people who make a documentary who write these books who make a documentary about the black people doing these things and it's just it's so powerful 
because we often are just it seems like the control over our stories is just sometimes outside of our grasp, even though like we are the product and I don't know, it's just like super iconic. Yeah. You'd have done that. Yeah. I I concur wholeheartedly. And one of my favorite things about the documentary is that if, if there was like an analog for the experience of watching horror noir that I had in the past, it was the celluloid closet in a sense. But what I loved about Horror Noir that it did better, certainly better than Cellular Closet, was that you really threaded the needle between what it meant to be doing an examination of how people of color have been represented in genre and threading the needle to actually getting the chance to be in control of the representation. And so much a narrative, the documentary ends up being a narrative about what it means to be in control of presenting your own images of your own self uh, you know, reflect, reflect it back to your own community, oh, yeah. and and that's not something that was a part of celluloid closet. But what I was so I was really unexpectedly moved. I knew I was going to be entertained. I knew I was going to like love all of the information that I was going to get from this documentary, and I was going to be fascinated. But I wasn't. I was unexpectedly moved by that sort of undercurrent of the documentary. And I, yeah, I haven't had a chance to say it yet because I was like, I'm going to shower you with compliments on the air. But uh, yeah, well, amazing. No, a beautiful thing about it is like, you know, one of the things that Tanana Reed brings up is the idea that like, you know, you know, black life can be black horror, mm-hmm. like, you know, especially mm-hmm. many of the things that we deal with in America and with white supremacy, with oppression, with, you know, state, you know, sanctioned violence and things to that right. degree. In a lot of ways, you know, when white folks look at um, horror, they have to choose an other or something to be afraid of that goes all the way back to Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes back to, you know, King Kong. You know, they have to, you know, make up these ideals. Whereas for black folks, we can look outside and see the horrors that are, uh, you know, happening to us. Like mm-hmm. one of the things that I thought was, because, you know, one of the things I do on a regular basis is, you know, I bring up social commentary. I'm very, very, I'm very upfront with how I feel about things that happen in America and things to that degree. Like I don't bite my tongue on that. And it was interestingly enough, I still remember like one of the parts that really resonated with me on a personal level is, you know, was in the film, like, you know, they, they uh, connect the, uh, what's happening, you know, in horror stuff also with the, uh, the, 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 the problems that are happening in America when it comes to like, you know, the shooting of an armed black man and woman. And, you know, one of the things that really connected with me on a personal level was the fact that, you know, one of the faces you see when they bring that part up is, uh, you know, Philando Castillo. Mm. Who was you know taken up taken out by the police, and you know I still like it furious me to this day. But I actually have a personal connection to that one um, because when that happened, you know I don't know if folks remember like you know Easter Ray did the fundraiser for Eric Garner mm-hmm. that raised everything, but concurrently I did the I was the one who did the fundraiser for Philando Castile's family that raised everything into it, and I still remember doing that specifically. Because, you know, we raised over 180000 But when it was happening, there I had white supremacists. I had folks who were saying I was going to steal the money. I had, you know, folks trying to threaten me to, like, you know, get rid of it. Uh, for folks on my phone number to, like, you know, mm-hmm. do you know do things like that with this it. This on Twitter? Yeah. 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 And it was... It was one of those things that that personally, you know, was something we planted in there and it really spoke to me just because of the fact that like when I think about what it means, you know, with black life, sometimes being a part of black heart and then seeing something that I was even personally connected to in that way. And I'm just happy that, you know, what we did in the documentary didn't run away 
from the fact that so much of what happens in black horror, what happens within the genre, within horror noir, is so reflective of what's happening in America right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think Castile's sto- story, I, I mean, I can barely talk right now. It's one of the... At that I remember being particularly upset and haunted by um, the interaction, his interaction with the police, his partner, the child mm-hmm. in the back. Um, all of that was so very horrific. And I think that, I don't know, I know as myself as a black person, and um, I've heard a lot of other black people say this as well, like, you're driving in your car, a cop's behind you, pro- probably, or I shouldn't say probably, maybe not even paying any attention to you, but your heart's racing and you're like, I'm picturing, I'm like, I'm getting pulled over. And then when I get killed by this police officer, are people going to bring up like, what? what is my picture going to be like when they bring this up? And what are people going to say about me to like discount what I'm saying and to believe this police officer. And I don't, that's just like an everyday multiple times a day experience for a lot of black people. And so for the, the doc to bring up black life is black horror. I was just like, yes, like, and we, and we know that. And the scariest parts of so many films are parts that only we understand because we only, we're the only people experiencing that or, most of the people that are experiencing that and so to talk about the scariest part of a movie being like a black man walking through a suburban neighborhood mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah no i completely understand that I yes mean, even going farther i mean one of the things i specifically remember would get out you know going to see it was you know the ending mm-hmm. and you know when you know the the cop car you know pulls up and I remember being in a theater and I was like, oh no. Right. And then white folks were like, oh, he's saved. Right. And we would, I was just like, really? <laughs> but there was just such a, a, a different perspective on what that means. Absolutely. You know, for these, these different groups and to see, um, you know, Rel get out the car and <laughs> like save him was uh. just, cathartic in yes. a way just because of the fact that like you know i'm so we bring we bring it up in the documentary as well i'm so used to you know not living dead you know we get shot dead or we die first or all this stuff happens and you know he he, he goes to jail like I, um tanana Reed brought it up in in the documentary i will be if the for the rest of my life if i never had to see black men on screen in you know orange or prison suit or anything like that i'll be fine i've seen enough of that shit mm-hmm. so you know and i know i'm jumping ahead but the, the no that's okay the, no. the the thing for me that just made me happy with get out is that i felt that i had seen a character that had made it out in a way that a lot of us don't Mm -hmm. in the real world. And that's why I'm glad he stuck with that ending because anything else, it still would have been a great film by all means, but I don't think it would have had the same type of emotional impact that it did for so many of us. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you compare the endings of Get Out and Night of the Living Dead, you know, on the one hand, you have Jordan Peele, who I'm probably going to semi-misquote him, but, you know, saying, you know, like, my original ending was that, you know, the, the police were going to treat him in the way that we've come to expect them to treat a black man. Uh, mm-hmm. But I didn't have the heart to put the audience through that after everything, so I had to give them a glimmer of hope, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's roughly what he sort of came away with. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas you have George Romero, who in 68 is like, I guess, playing to a white audience predominantly, thinking of a white audience predominantly, and is saying, no, see, you're going to hate this ending, and you should hate this ending because it's entirely fucked up that this is the ending. Now, at the same time, I don't, you know, I can't speak to how it feels to watch both of those, you know, as a person of color, but I love that that movie ends the way it does. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> no, I, feel, I, feel, I love it I feel, too. I feel like I'd like wandered into like an alley and no, like, the, oh, I should be, I'm just going to no. go to bed. You know, yeah. bringing that up, like I think. <laughs> you silly. <laughs> is, is like, I understand, you know, films where it's like, you know, be realistic and, you know, be honest with what, you know, the world presents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's necessary in, in, in many films. Like, by all means, I think, like, you know, there is something poignant to say. We're like these, you know, the white folks that were in Night of the Living Dead going out and, you know, killing the uh, the zombies. And we bring, again, we bring up in the film that they looked very reminiscent of those mobs that were running yeah. around, like, in the Deep South. And, you know, that's where I'm from. I'm from Alabama. And, like, seeing him being taken out at the end is again reminiscent of the lynchings and things that we dealt with you know that our parents and our grandparents you know dealt with and so i understand the necessity of like doing something realistic doing something honest but at the same time on the flip side when you've seen it enough times there's also something that's truly impactful powerful when you see the type of i don't know restorative justice in a way that Again, we just don't get to see on a regular basis mm-hmm. in the real world because, you know, when I think about the overall landscape, you know, of, of America, it's it's like, you know, <clears throat> and again, I'm going on a tangent. Please do. But, you know, when you think about American history and a lot of folks think like, oh, well, American history is like going up, 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 we're always progressing, progressing, progressing. <laughs> and, you know, that's not true. Is if anything, when I look at American history, I see it as like. Um, a downward spiral of decadence that's every once in a while we see an uptick in progress that mm-hmm. comes from black folks, PLC, gay folks, the type of folks who do want to see much of the world become better, especially because we want something more for the folks that we're going to be leaving this to. So when you think about it in that way, then you understand how America in more ways than one has been a nation that has been undeniably cruel to its most vulnerable people. And it's only been those every once in a while shimmering um, pieces of hope that has made it, that's made some folks hope that maybe this nation can be better than the sum of its parts. And for me, that's in a lot of ways, get out with like this, that little shimmering thing that shows me there's another way of doing this type of film, another way of giving, you know, you know, black folks type of hope. Um, yeah. And I appreciate it because, you know, one thing that Jordan brought up in the in the doc was how, like he said, like, you know, I'm trying to make it for everybody. But at the same time, if black folks love it, then I've done something right. right. And then it goes from there. And I think that was very, very important. And I'm happy that he actually really, you know, pushed and, you know, made sure to look at that because, you know, it's it's just one of those things where we needed some, you know, that type of hope, especially in the area in that mm-hmm. time that get out was yeah. coming out from the transition yeah. to Obama to Trump. Specifically when, you know, again we bring up in the doc where I was like, Oh, Obama's elected and Man, what if we are post-racial? And we found out that's a goddamn lie. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. that was never true during his time regardless. But you have folks bring that up. And then Trump mm-hmm. lets us know very clearly, no, you motherfuckers, you are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. You know, I had planned on asking you, like, oh, you know, in 20 years, if someone asks you, like, what the political climate was like when the doc aired, and I think you've already spoken a lot to that, Mm -hmm. um, which just speaks to how important of a moment it is for all of us to be able to view this so easily. Um, Yeah. I think you have spoken already to, <laughs> to what I had a question but you yeah, answered I had a question it. but you answered it you know get out I that movie will always just le- astound me because it's like you have you have horror right you have things that are scary like someone being drugged someone not having access to etc someone trying to auction you off you know for your organs or for whatever else but then it's like there's this whole other layer of scary for folks who who know what what is scary. And so it's like for black folks watching Get Out and you're like, oh, this moment is actually really scary too. And this and this and this. And there's just all these levels. Oh, that glance from that person. Oh, I know what that feels like. That's scary. It's just so genius. I don't know. I think what's beautiful about it, and I, you know, it reminds me of the saying that happened with The Night of the Living Dead, um, is, you know, some, you know, there can be good films. It can be amazing films. But there's also something about an amazing film, again, coming out at the right time when it was necessary, mm-hmm. that kind of um, solidifies its status mm-hmm. as viscerally important to what's happening in that time that was huge for Not the Living Dead because of the stri- racial strife that was happening at that moment. You know, MLK being assassinated, like, you know, that was big to, to, to therein in 19, I think it was 1968, seeing a black man on screen um, leading and also just knocking the fuck out of white people. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the flip side... <laughs> Hi, Hi, Michael. Michael's here. Michael's here. Hi, team. <laughs> Did someone say knocking the fuck out of white people? <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, you know what's wild is that I loved your film, by the way. Hi. I love, love, love. Last thing I did before I came here was show three people Shutter. Yes. Like literally went to Shutter.com and said, "Watch this movie." Yes. So. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's it for me. (laughs) Um, I was going to talk about how before I saw Get Out, I had had this interaction at my workplace where um, there was a lot going on, and I was being asked about it by the CEO, and I was just like, you know what? I'm I'm just going to mind my business and do my job. And he was like, I really like that. You know, I really like that. Just just mind your business and do your job. And then I watched Get Out a few months later. Y'all, and he, and that, that black man who had been, you know, already hoodwinked and was in it was just like, I'm, I'm just mind my business and do my job. And I was like, fuck! <laughs> they, like, they got me! They got me! Like, I, it was so striking to me that I had said that exact same thing in an effort to just fall under the radar and just like get my paycheck. And I was like, how did how did Jordan how did this happen? How did he do this? It feels it's very rare nowadays that a mass hit movie mm-hmm. ends up being viewed from very different like a prism from like very different angles for white audiences and black audiences. Like black audiences are watching it from a very specific vantage point. And then you had I remember hearing Jordan Peele talking and saying, uh, I'm having a lot of white people come up to me and be like, I thought like it, what a great comedy. And oh, he was boy. like. 
<laughs> Time to whoop some more ass. Yeah, and yeah. Okay, he's like, he's like that, he, he was like, it's not a that. comedy. <laughs> okay, I'll do a sequel. Like, <laughs> and you know, and, but and and but that's that's the strange thing is I could see, I could see like, oh wow, I think if you're you know sort of like have a low empathy quotient, you could watch Allison. What's her name? Uh, Marnie. Just, she's always going to be Marnie. Allison Williams. She, she'll always thank you. She'll always be Marnie to me. Oh, she'll always be that bitch sitting on a bed eating cereal out of a cup. To thank me. you. Okay. Oh, you Michael, watch, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> you could watch. You know, you t- to that fucking dirty dancing tape my mother played in the station wagon a thousand and one times, like eating cereal and milk like separately, and just find it funny. Or you could be like, no, there's so much truth yeah. in the exaggeration. <laughs> like, there's so we're so yeah. We have so many problems. (laughs) We have so many problems, you guys. Um, So that that was an especially fascinating thing as a horror fan to read interviews with Jordan Peele and being like, really, really, people are telling him, oh god, that's really depressing. That's incredibly depressing that some audiences would only extrapolate that from it, and that's um, and then tell the director, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Privilege. That's, that's, that's like, a lot. That was right. fucking hilarious. Oh Girl, my God. hilarious. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, 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 you keep me young. Uh. <laughs> I'll never forget, though, seeing that movie in the Arclight Dome yeah. opening weekend in the audience going fucking nuts when he starts taking people out. Like oh, yeah. the sense of community that was going on in that moment was pretty rad. Like it was loud in there oh. and it was great. And like getting chills and like literally people cheering. I don't think I've heard that in a horror movie in a really long time. People screaming out loud, like at the protagonist um, and not screaming, you know, kill him <laughs> at like the antagonist. It was right. at the protagonist. So it was like, I don't know. That was just like super special to be in, just to even be there witnessing that. It was amazing. Audience was packed though. You know, just to add on to that, what I think was great when we uh, interviewed Jordan you know, for the documentary, um, what I really appreciated that I, I kind of, you know, subtly noticed is that for Jordan, even now, um, he's still kind of uh, getting used to the fact that he's done something so culturally significant. Yeah. Like he's still at that point where it's like, oh, I really did make Get Out. And <laughs> yeah, he's wrapping his that, head around his own work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's. You know that's huge. I mean, it's it's it for me. It was just interesting to see someone in that type of, um, in that in in that stasis period where you're realizing that you made something that was so so important to the lexicon of American history, and not just you know cinema, but American history, and you know what that means now, and what not only being that person, but also the responsibility or weight or anything <laughs> else that it, it carries on when folks begin to look at your next thing mm. yeah yeah how do you wrap your mind around <laughs> like well, you not, did that yeah i mean you didn't even just make a movie you made you like created almost you created a moment in time that's going to be trapped forever like I, like you said it's not just a, it's a it's significant in so many ways whether it's artistically film wise culturally you know, like in every way imaginable it has to be hard as a filmmaker to be like, holy shit, what, what, what? I get the feeling though, that he's, I mean, it's not his first time at the rodeo. I mean, True. after Key and Peele, I mean, he's True. right. I, I feel, I, first of all, Key and Peele just on its own is already like, kind <laughs> so of great. just like a little, like a jewel, not a little, like a several seasons, large jewel. And then 
to top that with, you know, sort of a cultural landmark of pop culture, you know, pop horror. Um, I mean, I feel like he's just going to keep surprising people. I don't know. I don't, I don't see him as the type of person that he seems too smart to like rest on laurels or go back to an identical. Well, like he's going to find, I don't know. The thing with Jordan Peele is he always has something to say regardless of genre or tone or anything. So I think his brain just works that way. If you ask me and everything he's done, there's always been a POV and whether it's going to be as big or as significant as get out always, probably not because that's hard to do. And once you start going to do that, you usually fail, right? Like, um, like once you're trying to say something big, I just yeah, I hope he yeah. doesn't get like you know Shyamalan or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god! Yeah, like oh, knock wood! Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that movie you just made was a ninety minute minute self suck. M night. Um, <laughs> um, I, I mean, that sounds fine though. I mean, I, I could. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen the Gremlins too, sketch. Uh, no. That you haven't. No. Uh, I think that's my favorite thing they've ever done on that show. <laughs> it's fucking wacky and amazing. Have you seen it? No. I oh my god. Okay, we'll play it after Basically. the show. Yeah, we'll play it for you afterwards. So but um, yeah, it's just he plays like. I guess like a studio like fixer coming in to like very, help them figure out what Gremlins one. Two is, <laughs> and it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. It's amazing. It's and, so funny. But nothing he says is untrue. No, it's everything he says is like so on the money that you're like, oh, I'm an idiot for liking Gremlins Two. Uh, yeah, it's in the movie. And there you go. Um, I had a I had a couple of questions for you. One. I, what I loved about the doc was something was when it was over, I was like, Oh, it's over. I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, and I was wondering, was there any segment or any sort of, uh, section of the doc that you found yourself that you had to cut or that you wish you could have included or what have you? I'm just shutting the door. (laughs) (laughs) Um, M night Shyamalan just came. Yeah. (laughs) Lock ourselves in the room. Um, I was so I was wondering was uh, was there anything from the doc that you had wanted to include but did not or I don't know I think if I you know of course because you know you gotta we're doing something so long it's going from the eighteen nineties all the way to you know right. present day so there's there's a lot of stuff to um to unpack and deal with but one of the pieces or parts that really stood out to me that I even you know go back and think about like to this point I wish I could you know throw some more in there but you know you got to keep it at a nice little eight, three minute pace <laughs> is um, specifically um, uh, William uh, Marshall, the, the director of, of Blackula. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I'm not, it's William Crane, like both of them have William and William. But specifically what was big is when uh, William sat down to, you know, talk about Blackula mm-hmm. and to make something that was so big, you know, at that point and brought in so much money for the folks and he was a, a a black director making this at 23 years old in wow, the early that, yeah. yeah 23 years old in the early 70s and you know even though he's you know the director he had to um deal with so much he 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 brought up more like outside of it but dealing with so much of the pushback from everyone that he talked about having an all-white crew. Yeah, no, that's one of the things. Right? Not only yeah. did he have an all-white crew, 
Um, but so many of the folks behind the scenes didn't want him on it and were constantly undermining what he was trying to do and what really like it, it hurt a little bit, but also, you know, something I always come back to is that when you go look up his credits and stuff like that, like he did black, which is amazing, but there's not that much there. And it's not because he wasn't talented by all means, but you know, you would think making something mm-hmm. as huge as black during that time would just like skyrocket you, but it didn't a- at all. And it kind of just reminded me how, like the work that he did at that point and the career that he should have had but didn't was like one piece of the groundwork to allow black filmmakers now to be able to have the opportunities that we're still fighting for, but at least we're getting them on a bigger basis than he was back in the seventies. And that's that, that specifically. And what he talked about and listening to him was just a huge thing for me. Cause you know, he's, he still wants to come back and do something else for Blackula. He still wants to make more stuff. Hmm. Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's for me, it's a little infuriating to know that this man made something that was, you know, culturally iconic and huge for that time and made that studio so much money, but it damn near did nothing for his career. So you couldn't add all of that extra stuff in, in, in the documentary, but it's just something that I always kind of come back to. And I always keep it in the back of my head now, because, you know, without him, there wouldn't, with, with, without him, there wouldn't be even me making a doc like this in the first place. Right. Hmm. Wow. And the name they almost had for Blackula. Something like Browns in town Doctor, or something. Dr. Browns, uh, Browns in town or something like that. Count, and it's count like Brown. count, count yeah, Browns count in town. Browns yeah. in town. Yeah. And it just sounded like poop. Like it's just yeah. <laughs> it was a scat film. Yeah. <laughs> People are so scared to say black though. And People I can't are. even imagine what year did Blackula come out? Seventy three? I think nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy two. Yeah. People you can tell who well. You can tell who has a lot of thoughts on the word and who doesn't, because you'll see people starting to mouth it before the blah. Well, no, they whisper. And you're like, black. And you're like, it's, that's not a curse word. Yeah, you, can say that. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can say it. Yeah, Blackula. That's the only name that that movie could have. Nate, have- it's Blackula. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's African-American killer. <laughs> yeah. That is what twenty three years old. God, I wasn't doing shit at twenty three. You- what was I doing? Seriously, uh, I think I was working at Enterprise Rent a Car. I don't remember <laughs> what I had for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a veggie burger. It was good. I I also wanted to ask you. Um, so I when the forgive me for bringing it up. I have a point. Uh, when the Roseanne <laughs> reboot came out last year. <laughs> Just, <laughs> where was like, not where's it going? Where are we going with this? I, no, 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 no. I have a point. I have a point. I usually have a point. Uh, Roxane Gay ended up writing um, because she was a huge fan of the original series, uh, and so piece. when the yeah, and she ended up writing a piece in March last year um, that was about her watching the first two episodes and then being like, mm, "I'm good, okay. yep. um, I'm, I've had it." And she wrote, uh, "quote Sometimes I consume problematic pop culture, knowing I shouldn't, knowing how harmful that pop culture can be. I still believe there is room for that." 
for having principles and enjoying things that challenge those principles. And she goes on to say that we still need to challenge pop culture to get better pop culture, of course, but it's, you know, still okay if, you know, you're watching it with the right, like the right hat, so to speak, to consume problematic pop culture. And so as a queer viewer, I certainly have like problem films that I like adore that I just, that basically like would want to stomp on my throat as a queer person. Yeah. We've talked about a lot of them here. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm curious, I'm always fascinated to know uh, like what, what problem films people love or they're like, they're like whether they're guilty pleasures or like they're things that's like, I know I, this movie has so many issues, but I love this movie. And so I'm just curious to know like what, like what you find fascinating or, or, you know, oh man, I, I really got to think about that. Well, um, okay, yeah. What's what's uh, 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 a homie who went on the tirade against black folks and Jews and made a comeback? Oh, Mel, and, Gibson? Mel Gibson. Oh. And what's the film where he was like America first in the seventeen seventies? What was his Braveheart? The Patriot? No, Bra- the Patriot. Was is it, it, is it with Heath Ledger? Passion of the Christ, I think. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of them. So it's like every Mel Gibson movie. I'm just <laughs> apocaly- Apocalypto. I just it's the it's um he's the he, he's a revolutionary soldier. Oh, it's the Patriot. It's the Patriot with okay. Heath Ledger's his kid, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think yeah. yeah. So yeah. so I love that film. I grew up on that film, watching it. It's a good movie. A lot. It's it's yeah. it's, a, it's a good movie, and you know a lot of times. Because of, you know, what I talk about and what I think about is, it's like, man, do I even want to go back and watch it after knowing the type of right. <laughs> motherfucker this dude is? And it's it's one of those things where it's like, I still enjoy it, but I have a hard time sometimes because, you know, you specifically, you know, folks like to say, well, you can, um, you can separate the art from the artist. And I think that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I think that's not true. Um if you consume an art, then you are inevitably helping that artist in some way. And sometimes it's maybe more honest for you to say, like, I am. And that's a problem. And I need to head it and like face it head on mm-hmm. versus trying to make an excuse. As like justify to wh- it or ju- quantify just, it. Yeah. Right. Because when you do, because it's still problematic if you like ingest it, but at least if you're willing to face it head on, you can say, you could ask yourself like, well, what are the things I do if I'm going to keep ingesting this thing? What are the things I can do to at least like, you know, deal with this or bring more thought and stuff to it? But I, it's, it's a hard thing to deal with. But that for me is one that always you know, picks up because there are Mel Gibson films that I like, but I also understand like for me, I can't. I can't rock with homeboy like that. No, but I mean, <laughs> right? But I mean, you can appreciate the fact that he's in certain. Way, and listen, like I'm not like you know renting his movies on you know a weekly basis or anything. But having seen a number of them, You're citing I can, an app for him, I just, <laughs> it's called Sugar Tits. And if you click on it. Um, he just shows up at your house within 30 minutes and just abuses you to your face in a hot tub. Yeah. In a hot tub. Um, no, but like you, I mean, I kind of feel like I, I get where you're coming from and I get why you would watch them and be like, okay, there's some great filmmaking here. And also Mel Gibson's gross. Like, you know, also like he's both right. I mean, I don't know. I guess, I mean, it's a really interesting conversation. It's, an, it's such a it's it such a difficult conversation because at the same time, I can go like Rosemary's Baby comes on TCM. I'm sitting there and I'm watching it because it's a perfect movie. And also, but do I want Roman Polanski to get to work anymore? No, I don't. 
you're done. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good example because that movie also has an amazing message. Well, yeah. And and it tackles an amazing subject. I don't know. It's so tough. It's so. I think the. Sketchy. (laughs) It's such a sketchy (laughs) conversation. I think that, you know, the greatest example of taking it back is, you know, 1915 Breath of a Nation. And the thing that happens, especially in film schools, Mm -hmm. where they want to show it. And they want to talk about all the technical skills. They showed and, it in mine. You know, they showed it at USC too. Yeah. And, you know, all the technical skills and how important it is for that stuff like that. And <clears throat> for me, you know, I remember when it was there and I was like, I got to walk out. I don't want to see this shit again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to see this second time. But, <laughs> yeah. but my my bigger problem mm-hmm. was that a lot of times when Birth of Nation is shown, they only talk about the technical part. Right. So they completely erase all of the problematic ideas that it brought into American lexicon. And it's like, how can you completely erase and ignore that stuff, but only talk about the technical side and what matters to it? That's like completely ignoring an entire side of a person. That's like, you know, <laughs> I'm walking up to you and I'm just talking to one side of you. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, that's a great example where, like, you know, for example coming back to film school if I was ever to go back and teach and someone says you have to show that in your in your class I'm like fuck fine and for me it can't just me me talking about the technical stuff it has for me to bring up all of the societal ills that that film brought on from from blackface from ministerial from like you know showing black men lusting from being shown in the white house Mm. to you know uplifting the ku klux klan all of that stuff needs to be shown in connection with it in the same way that like you know for yeah for the patriot like talk about the inaccuracies within the film talk about what mel gibson's done like give it technical aspects are framed around the problems so some of those shots were chosen because of the problem they wanted to get across. Mm-hmm. So you can't, in that sense, you can't ignore that either. Like you, you know what I mean? Like, does it make sense what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're using the problematic aspect of it to frame your film around it. So they go hand in hand. So is that the solution towards, you know, like approaching, like, I mean, I, the word problem film doesn't even like apply to like birth of a nation, but like, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it, it doesn't qualify, but to integrate the history and sort of the effect and the, the deleterious effect of sort of the politics of that film with the sort of technical appreciation in order to have a dialogue about it that doesn't feel inauthentic or doesn't I mean, feel fraudulent. I, I mean, think that's what needs to happen on a regular basis because yes. if you that believe, makes sense to if, me yeah, when I'm hearing if it. If you believe in the idea, because again, I truly believe when you can't separate the art from the artist. Sure. So if you subscribe to something like that, then that means you need to hit it face on. So if you're going to talk about what you consider the positive aspects it is always necessary to bring up the negative aspects as well and tie them together because they you can't unlink them. You can't unlink Roman Polanski from Rosemary's Baby. It's not possible right. to do that. And if someone is going to show it or someone's going to teach it and completely ignore the person behind it, then you're erasing a central part of what that film is and why it came to be. Yeah. And you're, for especially for students, you're robbing them of what it means to be an artist and ingest yourself into your film because I think every film has a piece of the person 100%. that like yeah. wrote and directed. Yeah. Of course. I mean, to only bring up the technical aspect of Birth of a Nation or any other problematic film reeks of so much privilege. Yep. Because for anyone else who occupies like more than one social identity, the 
the political is personal. Like I can't not talk about blackface and watch this movie. I can't just like, I can't even imagine trying to separate those things out. And I refuse to do it. When like Joanne, Joanne Monique said when she was there that films are politics. Like you can't really separate the two anymore. There's no such thing as a film that doesn't have politics. Right. Like, you know, 100% like anyone who thinks that just doesn't have to actually deal with the politics in their face because they are usually seen as the default. Um, yeah. So yeah, every <laughs> single film, every single film yeah. has a political understanding. Mm-hmm. It's just the only problem is when, as a filmmaker, you think you're so neutral that you completely ignore it, so you no longer have control over politically what it is saying, or you don't know and you make it completely political <laughs> without even realizing, it. <laughs> or you don't care, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is also something you see sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. yeah, I mean, I don't think the answer is to not show. The, the film right but you know what i've so i'm never one who thinks about thinks that something should be censored or that and everything something should be banned and that no one should see it i have never felt that way until i watched 13 reasons why oh and i was like you know what i don't think anyone needs to see this and i have never felt that way about anything and i i truly felt you're not the first netflix person is canceled yeah, <laughs> i was like you I've know what <laughs> this is awful is it what is it about i only saw well, a chunk of like episode seven and i was like well, not you know, for me specifically about suicide and right. you know yeah. one of the Teen things suicide, they yeah. bring up is that like a lot of complaints of it was that it uh romanticizes glorified, glorified suicide and one of the things they talk about is a lot of times when films and tv usually do things about suicide it actually ups the rate yes, of does. kids so it's and then one of the you know problems with it is because Sometimes, or a lot, actually a lot of times, the filmmakers would choose to like make it more cinematic. And because of that, they would ignore some of the implications and problems they would bring into it. I think was something I, you know, vividly remember is how like, you know, they would have the the afterwards. Like they would do this thing when I don't forget what it's called, but like afterwards they would have a sit down with the creators and stuff. And then whoever was the uh, consultant mm-hmm. for the, the series. And you would literally hear this woman be like, Hey, she would say like, Hey, I thought this was a bad idea. And then they were like, Oh, we're just going to do it anyway. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was like a little town hall on us. Uh, yeah. Right? They, no, they, they did discussion about it. And it was just one of those things where I was like, what was the point of even bringing her on? If you were going to <laughs> right. ignore her stuff, because it re- and where it really stuck out for me was, you know, the ending with uh, the second season where you have the whole like, you know, shooter, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, active terrorist it's shooter at the end of it. What really hit me because, you know, the thing I have a problem with and, you know, I'll be very honest, the idea that, you know, active shooters is like the whole th- the whole idea that if, you know, if we just stop bullying them, they'll stop shooting kids. And it's like, that's not fucking true. That's that's just that's not true. The takeaway, like like literally, literally, <laughs> one of the things that that's they, the takeaway in the show. They really, yeah. they really pushed the idea. One of the things yeah. that happens in the show is that this they sodomize him with a broomstick it, in yeah, in the bathroom, and because that that happens, that pushes him to go shoot everybody. Was, yeah. and it's just like. What? Yeah. And then to make it worse, what high one, school is this happening at? It's also brutal. Like it's Jesus, horrible to watch. It wasn't necessary. And I watch everything. It, you it, know what I mean? It wasn't like, <laughs> like the, the choice they made so with that one triggered me. Just it, it, it wasn't necessary. <laughs> wow. Like yeah, there okay. is a way to show traumatic stuff with getting across what it means. It's, it's one of the things that I always say. Like and, I, and I'll let me come back to this for one second. Like 
trauma porn in films. You know, specifically where they think that the way to show, you know, for black folks, a lot of times white filmmakers think, what's the best way to make us empathize with a character, a black character? And a lot of times white like, filmmakers, <laughs> it's like slavery or yeah. getting lynched or getting yeah. beaten or getting shot. Yeah. Like all of these type of things. in one way or another. Yeah. yeah. And the whole thing about it is that like for me as a black person, there is nothing you can show me on screen that I can't go on the Internet <laughs> and see on my own. Uh-huh. So it then and becomes. And see that is real and true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it becomes a question of who are you actually making this for? And in this with. 13 Reasons Why, for me, I don't think they were making it to actually bring awareness as it was to sensationalize and make four folks um, watch it. Now, of course, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'd like, be against it, but I think that's uh, another one like you know the film Detroit um, that, that came out. Oh, yeah. And the whole thing for me is like I despise it because for me, I felt that it was a film that was being made for a white liberal audience to feel bad for black folks. And, oh, it's so terrible, and we're doing our part. Mm-hmm. Then you go and you drink a cup of tea, and you never talk about it again. <laughs> and that, to me, is a problem because that's just patting yourself on the back. Yeah, I mean, and it's, not creating again, it's a two-hour two yank on yourself. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, you, I never saw that movie, but the way you just described it, I, I felt – felt that in the 30 second spots i was like this is megan ellison tooting her own horn for making this movie i saw it i went to see it um and uh, i'm still mad that i even saw it i'm still furious <laughs> about it well it's it was one of those things where i mean Catherine bigelow has made some brilliant movies and watching it one of the things that was so frustrating about the movie was that it had all her her hallmarks in that she it was unrelenting and it was unflinching and it was desperately painful to watch but the entire time you're watching it and going like why why are we why are we having to watch this part of mm-hmm. this event why aren't we watching a different part a, a, around it something why do we have to indulge in this particular moment and that's the thing, you know, like she's, she's, she, I, I think it's, a, it's a road to hell kind of situation <laughs> where like clearly the intentions are, the heart is in the right place. And yet the effect overall to certainly to, I don't know, to so, a, a lot of audiences is going to be like, oh God, yeah, please. like a great point that you bring up is like being unflinching and undaunting and showing it exactly how it is. And I'm not against a filmmaker doing that. And I applaud filmmakers for trying, you know, going to that place. But then it becomes a question of, you know, who are you making that unflinching why? Yeah, why? for and why? Because, again, as a black person watching that, you're never going to be able to show me a f- film where I see a black person get shot, killed, lynched. And that's going to have some profound effect on me because I see that. I know that. I've learned about it. That's something that can happen to me. Like, that is doing nothing for me. So it's almost, for me, ironically, it becomes, whereas they're thinking they're doing this to add empathy, it feels like a lack of humanity or empathy towards the black and brown bodies that are on the screen. Do you think that there's been any films specifically about uh, stories involving or, 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 or focusing on people of color? that have been made by white filmmakers that you actually respect? Like, one that I think of, and it probably falls under a problem film category. Like, obviously, so Detroit is like, oh, we know on what end of the spectrum that is. <laughs> right. But, like, I just, but it's interesting that you bring it up. It makes me go, oh, that's, that, that, it makes me want to know, like, like, Beloved, for example. 
It's like when you think because that was something that was a movie that I was like I I, I was like oh I want to know what what uh, uh, Miss Dew thinks <laughs> about that movie too. Well, I'll I'll give you one. I think if I'm not right, Coming to America mm. was that was a, that was a white filmmaker, I believe. John Landis. Was it Landis? I think yeah. It was, yeah. And second one's coming out next year. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. I have some I have some oh, wow. thoughts on that, like the new one. But regardless, that one is. I, I still love the film. I, I do love it. I do love it. And I feel like there was love done there, and it was something that I can come back to and watch. So the the big thing, I bring that up because I don't think I'm not what I'm not ever asking for is for non black filmmakers to never make stuff with oh, yeah, black no. folks or anything like that. Um it's more of a case of like I just want you to have the same empathy that you see when you look at someone like you to have that same empathy and understanding when you're writing individuals that mm-hmm. don't look like yourself and take out the time to go talk to somebody that's like that or take out the time to like say like hey can I get your thoughts on this or you know better yet bring someone in like that to be a part <laughs> yeah. as a producer or a writer yeah. to like big part give of the it process. you know more that in 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 a big thing with it too yeah. is when you ask that person to come in give them the space where they feel like they can actually say something to you if you're because it, it helps nothing if you have a black or a brown face or a gay right. face there if they're scared that if they actually call you out on something they'll just get thrown out yeah asking board. someone to contribute is much different than letting them right you know i've been in writer's rooms before where i'm turned to was like, that what would the gay person that gay, say? Yeah, was yeah. that gay joke too bad? And it's like, if you're asking me, it probably is, A. <laughs> and B, really? <laughs> like, come on. Like, don't look for me for just to write the gay joke this week. Like, you know, right. I'm more than that. But also, ask that question before. Like, you know, and it, there's a different way to do it. There's like a way to go, we brought you here because we have a gay character. And we want to make sure we're true to this gay character. Don't just look to me and go, is that joke homophobic? Yeah. Because you're not helping anybody. Right. Especially me. <laughs> yeah. Let me write the fucking joke. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there is a much different aspect of asking for help and letting someone help you in a way where they can't, like you said, can push back a little bit mm-hmm. or say, no, you're actually doing this incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Here's what you could do better. Everyone's just got to learn and be open to learning, really, at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, like like folks are going to make mistakes. I'm, yeah. I'm not mad at people for making you know mistakes, but you know what I want is if you're going to make the mistake, learn from it. Mm-hmm. And then once you learn from it, you know, try your best not to fall into the same thing. You know, like, you know, I think the biggest problem, you know, that I'll see with an individual or any individuals like within the industry outside of it is it's not you're you're when folks come to like, you know, get on your head. It's never like the first mistake. It's usually like you've done uh, a couple of them and you just haven't learned. And at that <laughs> point, folks are just like, we're, f- we're fed up. Um, so, yeah. Speaking of bringing in other folks, before we started recording, you had mentioned how, just how much help and support and be, I mean, beyond help and support, like how influential a lot of other people were in bringing horror noir to fruition. So that's something I need to, you know, say up front. Like, you know, I'm I'm so blessed to be the director of this uh, this amazing documentary. But I, in no, like, if someone says, like, someone says, "Oh, Xavier, we I love your vision," and it's <laughs> like, no, this was our vision. 
And that's not me trying to be humble. It literally really was our vision. It was a case of everyone put in an, an equal and sometimes more amount of time than even me in some ways to get it to where he is. So, you know, I have to give love to, to Nana Reeve do. I have to give special love to Ashley Blackwell and Daniel Burroughs, the writers and producers on this, you know, Kelly and, um, Phil that like, you know, mm-hmm. were the folks producers that were just stating this before I even came onto this bad boy. And I think the reason why I wanted to make sure I said that is, um, because I think it's important to give credit where credit is due. And I also don't want to erase erase the individuals who made sure that this thing was strong because at the end of the day, horror noir could have been made without me. Now I brought my, I brought my perspective to it, but at the end of the day, when I talk about where it started and first and foremost, who makes it great, I look at specifically the black woman that were a part of this and especially Ashley and Dr. Robert Armin's Coleman, who, Wrote the book <laughs> that made this possible uh, in the first place, and I just, I just had to say. I that. think it's cool that you say that, and I wanted to. I was going to bring that up because you, I was at the premiere, uh, and Nay was at the premiere, and that was something you said in front of everybody, and I thought that was really cool, and it made me realize that's why the film is special. It's not just the content; it's everything about it, and it's because of that. It's because of you sharing, sharing the whole situation, the whole project with your team and your team doing the same with you. And that's why that's I mean, That's why it's special. Everyone had a common goal. You know what I mean? And like, it was just very clear listening to the panel that everyone loved being a part of it. And not one person was fully like in charge per se. And that's why it's great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause like you could see the love, the passion on film. I mean, even there at the, at the premiere for so me, great. I was like, so I was fun. <laughs> yeah, I was up there. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm right beside Tony Todd. This oh is amazing. Yeah. And, I was dying. But then at the same time, I was thinking to myself, like, I'm going to take a step back. I'm not going to be trying to answer a whole bunch of questions. I'm going to concede this to all the folks that are far more important to me in the gestation. Oh, you're the pretty important. That. I, I get it. But <laughs> it was one of those cases where I just, wasn't trying to force myself to be, hey, me, me, me. I mean, me. were you up there like, holy shit? I mean, you had it to was, have been, right? Because, like, if you, uh, it's kind of crazy. I remember you were sitting on both sides of you, it was like the history of black film. Yeah. And it's fucking crazy. <laughs> that your documentary wouldn't have been made without everything they contributed before you. Yeah. And God, what were you thinking? It was crazy to look to the side <laughs> and be like, you know, Tony Todd's right there and Cam Ray's right there and Rachel True's right there and Keith Davis right there. By the way. And, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, what is it? You know, Tony passed me on the back. I'm like, good job, man. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. That's, <laughs> what, that's crazy. I can't. Well, if Tony Todd patted me on the back, I don't even, what was the moderator's name? I was oh, like, she if, was great. I was Lisa, like, if you say Lisa. Candyman one more time, I'm fucking leaving. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I believe in nothing, and I still can't really quite say Candyman five times. Like I just can't. No. We're gonna do it next time. We watch I a will movie kick at your house. fucking ass. <laughs> We're drag you to the bathroom. We're drag you to the bathroom. We're gonna do this. <laughs> yeah, you have fun with that. Um, um, you, I, you, your. Uh, I mean. Humility is in 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 being so uh, appreciative of the team around you that help enable you to bring this thing to life. Really says a lot about you as a person and as an artist. And um, 
having worked with a couple of directors who do not <laughs> do not <laughs> come from that place, uh, it is wildly refreshing, and uh, it's this is my long-winded way of saying never change, uh, <laughs> because um, that's really it, it's it, it is amazing sometimes how certain people in the industry forget that it truly does take a village, and it's really? such a cliche, but it's like. And it, but it also goes back to what you were just saying before around Detroit about other uh, other films. It's like it really is about the intention that a director or the group around the film have in terms of like, well, what are they trying to say with this thing? And you know, the 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 purpose and and the goodness of what you guys are putting across by trying to shed light on a piece of history that for some reason has not gotten you know the the due it deserves is you know, probably the reason why it sounds like it's been just such a wildly positive, wonderful, enriching experience for it, both the makers and the viewers. Yeah, no, it, it was great. I mean, honestly, it's crazy to think about how, because of how smooth, it's, that by far was one of the most smoothest, you know, working relationships and production that, you know, I've ever been on. Like, getting through this and doing everything was you know just 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 on production days like shooting everything mm-hmm. was less hazardous than some of the shit I dealt with <laughs> when I was shooting the short films and stuff you know back at USC um because one of the beautiful things they a lot they they told me specifically like you know you have your choice in who you want to bring in uh as your as your crew you're specifically like your entire cinematography team and everybody that's going to be working with you and I was like, okay, dope, appreciate that. So immediately what I did, because, you know, they said, like, you can go talk to, you know, try and get bigger DBs. I was like, no, nah, I, w- I want my homie Mario <laughs> Rodriguez to, awesome. to, to be my be my cinematographer because he's been on everything that I've been on. And then when we sat down on this, I told, like, Mario, like, yo, uh, when you bring in a team for this one, I want to make sure that, you know, the majority of the crew that we have are black and brown folks, you know, around on this since this is a film about that in the first place. So, you know, if you go on my Instagram or even that, you'll look at, you'll see the team and the team is, you know, mostly black and brown folks um, behind it, which, you know, is kind of rare. And even with that, like me saying, like, yeah, I need that. That's just something that I've been doing regardless and all of my work anyway. Uh, just because of the fact that, and, and this is getting on, a little bit on a tangent, but you know, folks always bring up the whole thing about, well, if you bring more diversity and things like that to films, won't the quality go down or something to that degree? Like that's been something I've been hit with. That was a question I was hit with during one of the, um, during the, the premiere that we had at USC. And that really says everything about what they think about <laughs> diversity. Yeah. And <laughs> it's already been proven that diverse uh, rooms and diverse crews, make better stuff yeah Yeah, and one of the things that i specifically when i when that question came up and i said like you know look at the work i've done i've been on hbo we got emmy nominated um you know we went to the student academy awards we've uh you know been to sundance with the stuff that i've been putting together and this has been in all of my stuff and all of my stuff has been majority black and brown people so for me it's just the default to bring in the type of folks that i think make things better just because of the fact that i've seen the quality come out because of it so mm-hmm. the idea of that question even being a thing right to me is ridiculous because it's n- from my viewpoint i've always done that and it's always netted me results uh-huh. so yeah yeah well you it sounds like you've like been able to test that several times yeah yeah 
and you will be you have a lot coming up right that you're about to be working on yeah what's in the cooker so just a, a few things to throw out there so of course you know um first first and foremost because of everything that's been happening with horror noir i have been having a good amount of folks reach out to me about you know if i want to do you know horror work Woo. and i'm just like hell yeah i want to do that like what's up, like, what's up? <laughs> so that made me you know i've been putting out a call to uh to, to to specifically the screenwriters like you know if you are a screenwriter you have uh, a feature script that deals with um that that deals with you know black and brown folks in horror reach out to me let me read that and I can't say why but there's a reason mm-hmm. why I'm asking you know for that so that's that's one thing that's great been, great that's been happening on the side um the uh the the digital series that I've been working on called Giants. Um, it just got nominated for uh, second Emmy, congrats, which is amazing. That's awesome, and it got picked up for TV. So, oh, no kidding! Yeah, no, cool. so, uh, for uh, with TV One Clio TV, which was you know great. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's great to hear that. And then on the other side, I'm actually um, working on like a super indie budget, like you know, drama that deals with the juvenile dependency court. And what happens to uh, women who are taken in when they leave their kids in cars or in different places. So, like, the film, the short film that I did got on HBO. It got me into Ryan Murphy's directing program, a whole bunch of, oh, like, no you shit. know, different wow. things like that. It just uh, dropped on Issa Rae's um, Presents, you know, channel. And then the, uh, the, the, the script I've been working on for the last four or five years, it started winning, you know, different awards for screen pla- uh, screencraft from the Atlanta Screenplay Film Festival. So, you know... Now I realize that it's there, and essentially, like we're looking for that, you know, under one million budget to try and cool. get this thing off the ground. So the biggest thing for me now, more than anything else, is saying like, you know, I have this documentary that I've done, yeah. But I, for myself, I want to get into the narrative feature right. realm, and that's really what I'm pushing for now. Wow, fucking cool! I was actually going to ask. Um, Mark brought up earlier, like, was there anything? cut from the film that you wanted in the film. And it made me think that I feel like there's a, a series that could go along with this film. Mm-hmm. Like that, that there's so much more that you pro- obviously couldn't cover because you couldn't have a 10 hour movie. Um, and I was just curious to know if there's been any talk from shutter or anybody saying like, let's, is there a, is there a digital is there a shutter series? I can't say anything about that. Okay, great. I love, I love <laughs> that now, now, of co- there's been, Great, you know uh, the 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 greatest thing I've get I've been getting in terms of like reviews and like listening to the analysts and listening to the fans. The biggest criticism has been we want more. Yeah, I mean so, that's kind of what I took f- when Mark said like oh it's over. Like that's kind of how I felt too. I was like I don't want this to. So well, I, just, I keep <laughs> stepping on your foot. <laughs> I, it's like the eighth time I've done it, and I keep being like, "Bitch, you just did that." <laughs> I forget every time. I'm so sorry. Okay, it's all good. But, <laughs> but uh, like Blackula. I want to know more about that now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's like that. That's like a one hour episode right there. You know, like yeah. I definitely think that there is um, like a horror so noir much, series. Yeah, I think yeah. there one hundred percent can be a horror noir yeah. series that deals with the different eras yes. and goes into more you know specificity. But you know, of course, like you know, and I would be more than happy to come back for that. Yeah, but I definitely think this is something where. It's going to be talks with stage three right. and shutter, and that's really based on them versus me. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I just was like, the numbers got to be good. Make it so shutter. Seriously. Just do it. Well, 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you here. Most definitely. Great to be on. Thank you guys for bringing me in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe uh, one of these days you'll just pick a random film to come discuss. Yeah. Next time you come back, we'll just talk shit about some other movie that's not yours. (laughs) (laughs) Some some movie you want, you some something dusty that you want that you love that you want to share with the wider audience to, you know, give it a spotlight or something you just, you know, want to tear to shreds. It's up to you. Whatever your poison is that week. Where can we find you? So you can actually find me on uh most social media at uh on Twitter, X L N B and then on uh Instagram, uh X L N B Stories. Then on Facebook, you can find me, Xavier Bergen. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I don't really accept the friend request that much anymore, but you can keep <laughs> on with me on that bad boy just because uh, nothing. I love everybody, but sometimes I'll get some very crazy folks saying, like, can you do this for me or can you read it? And it's like, oh, yeah. I haven't even met you yet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What about you, uh, Mark? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Senior Teen. Michael? You can find me on Twitter at Michael Ken Ken. Uh, you can find me, Nay, on Twitter and Instagram at Black Cupcake. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Wolf Pod. And you can find me in my Yorona reviews on my Twitter oh, at shit, It's Raining talk Friends. About that again. No. I haven't yet. <laughs> and, I really missed out this week. I got to add this. I got to add this. You can find Horror Noir yes. on oh, yes. Facebook, yes. Horror Noir, um, Twitter and Instagram, Horror Noir Film. And then for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, you can go on Shutter. Go on their streaming app to watch it. And, you know, wink, wink, seven-day free trial. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Do your thing. Four ninety nine a month. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's not that much. five bucks you'll spend a yeah. month. Seriously, seriously. It really is. the time to watch this bad boy. And come back and watch more. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, I watch Shudder so much. Oh, yeah, me it's too. like oh, the best four ninety nine. And also, after Horror Noir, stay and watch Ganja and Hess, because you can't oh my find God, it my God. any fucking where, and you haven't yeah. been able to find it anywhere forever. The other day, I was flipping through Shudder, and I totally gay-gasped. Yeah. But to the point that Brian heard me in the other room. Yeah. He's like, what? I'm like, all the movies from the documentary are on here right. now. I can watch them. So, so yeah. So, Mom. <clears throat> Money's worth. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Do it, well, okay? Thanks, y'all. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.